Praise the Lord, everybody. I think that there is a, a ministering spirit here this morning, and it's, you know, sometimes we get a, a message in our mind as ministers, and sometimes the message isn't for anybody else, sometimes it's just for us. And sometimes whenever we get up here and teach, I don't know if the other three will confess to it, we're really not teaching any of you, we're teaching ourselves. We're just talking about it so that whenever Justin puts it on the podcast, we can preach to ourselves when nobody else is looking. <laughs> Amen. Come on. It's the truth. And I've been in the book and out of the book and in the book and out of the book. And finally, I believe I've found a way to address a, uh, a certain kind of spirit that keeps entering and re-entering at least my household. I don't know about anybody else's, so I'm not going to pretend like I'm preaching to you all. I'll just preach to me. So if I step on your toes, I'm stepping on mine. So don't get offended because it's not about you. It's about the territory. I think we've been over that. So if you have to uh, put in a note or a letterhead about this morning's message, there is a, a Miami way of doing things where we cast off the year before's burdens. And I went to a certain place and I prayed and cast off last year's burdens. Even though I didn't want to. So if you have to title this message, title it, My Burdens are not mine. My burdens are not mine. And, and this is why. There are three main reasons why your burdens are not yours. The first reason is, is that according to the Hebrew custom that's been adopted into our way of doing things, that if you were young and brought into this church, when you were first born, you were dedicated back to the Lord before you could walk or speak. So automatically, the trouble that you got into as a child didn't belong to you. When you got old enough to make a conscious decision to get baptized, whether you were an adolescent or an adult, automatically the blood stuck to you. Your troubles were not yours. Somebody pick up what I'm putting down. Whenever you decide to go into a place of prayer and a place of supplication and you repent or turn away from your trouble, they're no longer yours. Amen. So if you have trouble that you're holding on to, why? If it does not belong to you from whenever you are born and dedicated, whenever you are reborn and baptized, and whenever you go into repentance, why do we as people want to hold on to our junk? Right. We're hoarders. Oh, Andersons are big hoarders. Yeah, I just put that on the podcast. It's, it, uh, not all Andersons. That was not. Uh, I got to do like the commercial, you know, in, in the fine print. No, all Andersons are hoarders. They just like shiny things. <laughs> but you might have to use it later. That's the big excuse. You might have to use it later. So, 
If in your own time you decide to wonder why you are wrestling with holding on to all your junk, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, or financial, turn to Psalms 118. It's in the very middle of the book. And there's a lot of stuff in here this morning, a lot of verses that were already referenced by the bishop and have been referenced in song because of Psalms 118 is directly in the center of the Bible. And where is Christ supposed to be in our lives? He's supposed to be directly in the center. Now, why is it that we would want to put Christ in the center of something? Because the way God builds, he builds spherically. He doesn't build linearly. He builds spherically. When you look at his throne, it's a sphere. Things are round about it. God is in the very center, and there are lampstands around about it. And around about those lampstands, there is a cloud of thunder and lightning and voices. It doesn't say above it or below it. It says around about it. And then around about that thundercloud full of uh, the voices of God that is surrounding the lampstands of God, there's an emerald rainbow that surrounds that. God builds spherically. That means there's a dense center, and then as you work out from the center, you've got different exponents that apply to the equation. Amen? So what's in the center or what's in the core of your particular existence? What is in the middle of your mess? What is in the middle of your circumstance? What does your core look like? What's in the middle of your life? Not my life, not anybody else's life. Get in the mirror and look in the mirror and say, what is in the middle of my life? What's in the core of my life? Hallelujah. Now, none of us have had a physical interaction with Jesus, but we have had a spiritual impartation with Jesus. We may have seen the physical representation of God manifested in a flesh through a vision, through an interpretation, or even through what the Buddhists would call astral projection. But what that really is is that God just decides to show up when the devil decides to show out. Amen. Come on. So what is in your deepest core? Now, the core of any object, that's where the contents are supposed to be the most dense. That's where, if you're looking at it on a cellular level, the pattern for growth and life and DNA is contained in the nucleus, which is in the core of the cell, which is in the center of the cell. And then when you break down DNA and RNA, which is what makes you what you are, you get down to atoms. And atoms in the center of an atom, there is an electron cloud, and it's surrounded by a core of protons and neutrons. So in then when you divide the atom and you get it down to even smaller than small, atom means speck, for lack of a better word. There is an electrical ring of pure energy that surrounds the breaking down of that atom. So down to the smallest piece, the building block of life, what is in the center of you. Hallelujah. They call it the God particle. They cannot explain what it is, but it's found in the regions of space, and it's found in the center of an atom. They call it the God particle, the unexplainable creating force that inspires life, from a stone that's resting on the ground, to the water that flows upon the stones, to the dirt that makes the earth, to the cells that are in your body, there is a thing called a God particle that rests in the very center of what you are, down to the very atom that builds you, that nobody else can contain nor recreate, they can't find it on a periodic table, they can't find it in anywhere but except that it is in everything. Thing, they cannot explain where it comes from. 
Amen. So what's in the center of this book? What's in the center of these little books? What is in the center of this collection of holy text? It begins with this. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For he, because his mercy endures forever. Then there's a commandment. First it is give thanks. Let Israel say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his mercy endures forever. Why is it that you think that the scripture is telling you to go from one? He's starting at Israel, which is a whole nation, everybody included. Then he goes to the house of Aaron. Aaron was the house of the priests. So he says, everybody, let's say his mercy endures forever. And then he starts picking on people. He says, let the house of Aaron or let the house of the priest say his mercy endures forever. And then he gets down to the nitty gritty. He says, let those that fear the Lord. Now that word fear actually means to respect. Because there's a, have you ever had the dad voice come at you? Oh, the whole room changed right there. I just caught on to a memory. Everybody ever caught the dad voice? where you are walking along doing something wrong and suddenly out of nowhere the dad voice hits you from behind and you freeze in your tracks? Uh-huh. Yeah. Got you now. That word fear is in reference to respect. The word Lord there is, Yah is Jehovah or Yahweh. Let those that respect Yahweh say his mercy endures forever. How many of you have caught the dad voice but not the dad hand? And you said, You caught the voice but you didn't catch the hand. Amen. You may have heard what was about to happen but you didn't get the happening yet because there was some mercy on your skin. Amen. Not all the time though. <laughs> it depends. The writer then says, I called upon the Lord for my distress. He's saying, everybody thank him because his mercy endures forever. Whether you're in Israel, whether you're in the house of Aaron, whether you're one that respects and loves the Lord, praise him because his mercy endures forever. Why? Because I called upon the Lord from whose distress? From my distress. What did we start this out with? Your problems are not your problems. But this writer, he's saying, I called from my distress. I called from my situation. I called from whenever I was in trouble. Amen. The Lord answered me and set me in an open place. An open place. A place that does not have boundaries. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of Kansas while you're driving? That is the most boring state to drive through that you will ever pass through. And you can look in all directions and see absolutely nothing but grass. And it's overwhelming. Especially when you're from Indiana and you can't throw a rock in without hitting a tree. They have grass in Kansas. They have um, grass in Kansas. And they have a couple of trees in Kansas. And then more grass. Um, lots of corn. There's a lot of corn in Kansas. High winds and uh, more grass. 
Now, for those of us who are woods people, you, you take me out to Kansas, that ain't going to work. You drop me in the middle of Kansas, I'm saying, where's Dorothy? Let's hop the tornado and get out of here. But the Lord set this particular person in an open place. Now, where is the rider? He's in the middle of the desert. He's surrounded by mountains. Uh, the sheep and the goats eat shrubs. He may have even been in the middle of the city at the time. David, as he's writing this Psalms, what is he? He is a leader. He's surrounded by people constantly. He's got buildings around him. He's got armies to command. He is under pressure. He is under stress. Where is his release? The Lord takes him to an open place. Where is God going to take you for your release? Where is God going to take you for your escape? Where do you have to be to be released? The writer says here that, it, that the Lord took him to an open place, but that might not work for you. This is a personal relationship with God. Sometimes you have to get into a place that is dark and quiet where you can be cuddled and held by the Spirit of God rather than set out in the middle of an open place. How does this center of the road thinking, how does this core thinking apply to you? What do you need from God? Because the writer said, I'm under pressure. I'm leading people. I've got armies to command. I've got people walking up and down the streets. I'm commanding criminals, and I'm commanding righteous people at the same time. I'm trying to watch over an ark and keep the Philistines from taking it. I'm trying to dance before it so that it doesn't kill anybody. And here I am. I'm under pressure. God, you need to take me out to the middle of the desert away from these people. That's what he's telling you. And he's letting Israel know, you got to let the whole nation praise him. you got to let the priest praise him. And then if you respect him, you got to say, you are merciful, God, and I need this escape. Hallelujah. Whew. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Fear is one of the things that drive the force of mankind. Fear has inspired man to create tools. He's inspired man to create weaponry. He's inspired man to build walls. He's inspired man to kill other men. He's inspired hatred. He's inspired malice. Every bad and evil thing that you could think of, fear has inspired. But we also know that fear is a liar. Amen? So... That is why the writer says, I'm not going to fear. Even though every time he took up his sword and went into battle, there was that moment where he was afraid he had to conquer his fear. Because the scripture tells me that the person writing this, David, it says that Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. You don't kill tens of thousands of people without running into battle a few times. Amen. One of his generals killed 300 men with a spear by himself in one battle. These are people who take fear and they put it under subjection and they say my God is beside me my God is with me my God is able and I'm in the middle of my circumstance but I'm going to call out for my distress and say fear is a liar and I don't have to I don't have to take what it tells me amen glory to God Whew. what can people do to me there's a question mark that's not a statement the Lord is on my side to help me. He is looking at fear, and now he is looking at people. He went from the spiritual, emotional level to the physical level. He says, what can people do to me? What are you going to do? If somebody is opposing you and you have the Lord on your side and his righteousness is within you and you are walking according to his word and you are following your path and you are trying to make a way where there seems to be no way by praying, you can look at somebody who doubts you and say, what are you going to do? Yeah. 
Amen? If you've got trouble staring you in the face, you look at trouble and say, what are you going to do? And call its bluff. See what it's made of. Because my Bible tells me that I'm not supposed to have fear because God is on my side. Come on, if the enemy comes at you like a flood, the Lord lifts up the standard, but sometimes you've got to shout like a lion to push that devil back. Amen? What are you going to do to me? If the enemy comes at you and he's not saying anything, he's just staring you down, you look at that devil and say, what are you going to do to me anyway? What kind of power do you walk in? Amen. There's a particular time and a particular place where the Miamis will have a ceremony where they put on their paint. And when they put that paint on, they don't wash it off until that purpose is fulfilled or they're dead. They say, I'm going to put my paint on and I've got a purpose and I'm not coming back or washing it off until that purpose is fulfilled or I am dead. So that's where you look at the enemy and say, I've got my paint on. What are you going to do? I'm ready to go. I got my war clothes on. What are you going to do? Amen. You look at the circumstance that's staring at you and say, what do you got anyway? Because my God is a whole lot bigger than what you are. My faith is a whole lot stronger than what you are. My strength in God is a whole lot tougher than what you got. My ability to get on my knees and pray is a whole lot better than any lie that you got from the pits of hell. What are you going to do to me anyway? Hallelujah. I shall look in triumph upon those who hate me. Come on, that's what the scripture said. I shall look in triumph upon those who hate me. Hate is a very strong word. It's a powerful word. It's nearly as good as fear. It's nearly as stout as fear. We've got fear and we've got hate. How many of you have had fear? Now, how many of you have been hated? Ooh, it, this writer ain't just talking about the fluffy stuff with unicorns and rainbows and smiley faces. This writer's talking about the nitty gritty. If you've been hated, you know you've been hated. You don't have to question, have I been hated before? No, you know you've been hated if you've been hated, amen? People have talked about you to your face. They've talked about you behind your back. They've talked about you where you work. They've talked about you where you pray. They've talked about you when you're driving in your car. They've talked about the way you dress. They've talked about the way you smell. They've talked about the way you walk. They've talked about the way you talk. They've talked everything that they can talk about you, and you're still going, so let them keep on talking, amen? If you've been hated, it don't matter because you're still going, hallelujah. They're going to talk about your past. They're going to talk about your present, and they're going to prophesy about your future because they ain't God, and they don't know what's ahead of you, amen? Hallelujah. I need some tongue talkers to talk into the future. I don't need prophet liars. I need prophesiers. Somebody prophesied this morning. Amen. Glory to God. It is better to trust in the Lord than put the confidence in man. It's better to know what the word says than to what the preacher says, me included. It's better to know what the book says than what I say. You can hear my interpretation. You can receive some of my understanding as minimal as it may be. You can talk about what I've talked about, but it's better that you know what the book says than what I've got to say, because that word is living, and that word is eternal, and that word has life, and life more abundantly, and if I'm talking about it, that means there's an origin, there's a beginning that's better than what I've got to say. I'm just trying to put it in ways I can understand it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Now we're getting some rank. Somebody who's got some authority. You ever walk into a place and say, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's got some pool where he goes. When he steps into a room, people respect him. Whenever he shows up somewhere, everybody knows that he's there. We're talking about a prince. Or you're going to put it up in a little different place. Let's talk about your boss who you work for. Or the owner of your company. Or maybe the president or the governor. Somebody who is established. My Bible tells me that it is better to trust in the Lord than it is to trust into a prince. Hallelujah. My Bible tells me it's better to trust into the spirit and the unction of the Holy Ghost than it is of any man who might try to put down something on me. Hallelujah. If God tells you things are going to be a certain way and man tells you it's going to be different, you don't rely on what that man has to say. You got to rely on what your faith has to say, what the word has to say, what your testimony has to say. Hallelujah. You want to get rid of your problems? You want to get rid of your fear? Stop trusting your own understanding about them and start trusting God's understanding about them. Amen? Morning. Hallelujah. He's got it going on. All nations encircled me. Who's, who's writing this? David? <coughs> he says, all nations encircled me. Everybody that was anybody was around me. What did he just write before that? He said, it's better to trust in the Lord. It's better to trust in the Lord than princes. It's better to trust in the Lord than to have the counsel of man. He's telling you that those that hate you, that he's going to stand in triumph over them. He's saying that Israel should praise the Lord because his mercy endures forever. The house of Aaron should praise the Lord because his mercy endures forever. Those that respect the Lord, hallelujah, should praise him for his mercy endures forever. And then he gets to verse 10 and he said, all nations encircled me. See, but before that he tells you that he's crying out in his distress. David did not write this smiling. He did not write this because he was having a good day. He didn't write this because everything was hunky-dory. He wrote it because he was calling out in his distress and God heard him. He wrote it because all nations encircled him and God made a move. He wrote it because he was in a bad place and he knew he was in trouble and he knew people hated him and he knew he was beat down and he knew that he was going to be taken over, but he called out and he cried out and he said, all nations encircled me. Hallelujah. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. In the name of the Lord. See, it depends on what kind of name you got to what kind of power you've got. Come on. But it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, that we would take. Hallelujah. My head's getting a, in my my mind is getting ahead of my tongue. If I, you know, we were. I wish you all could hear what I'm preaching in my head because it don't compare to what's coming out of my mouth. Amen. Glory to God. They circled me, indeed. They surrounded me. Now I, I've been listening to some prayer requests because that's what I'm supposed to do. 
and I pay attention to the patterns of the prayer requests of the people. And whether you realize it or not, most of you have patterns, and most of you have the similar prayer requests that comes around about every three months. It goes back into the same circle. If I'm stepping on your toes, look in the mirror, I'm looking in mine. I ain't even acknowledging y'all. I got the same prayer requests that go before the throne about every three months. I got a cycle. I get to where I'm jumping and shouting, and then I get to where I'm falling apart. And then I get to where I'm jumping and shouting, and then I get to where I'm falling apart. And I just keep walking around in this circle where I'm jumping and shouting, and then I'm falling apart. And then I'm jumping and shouting, and I'm falling apart. Now listen to the prayer requests of the people, and y'all get to jumping and shouting and then you get to falling apart and you get to jumping and shouting and then you get to falling apart and you get up here and you say my God is able my God is true and the next service you say my God help me I don't know what to do hallelujah hallelujah you get ready to get up on top of the mountain you fixing to get transfigured then you down in the valley and sackcloth and ashes don't know where your next meal going to come from hallelujah there's a pattern. There's a circle. There's the same stuff that keeps popping up just with a different name and a different title. But it's the same old devil dressed up in a different costume. Somebody say amen this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How do we keep from getting to that circle where we're jumping and shouting and then we falling apart and then we jump and shout and then we fall apart and we go into the same old circle and the same old dance? You've got to find that purpose that propels you forward to a different circle. You've got to find that a calling that propels you forward into a different circle. Because if you keep dancing in the same circle over and over again, I'm preaching to somebody. It might just be me, but I think it might be more than me. But if you keep praising and praying in the same circle over and over again, then I guess in about three months I'll know what most of y'all are asking about. But if you get a hold of an anointing and you get a hold of a prayer and you get a hold of a calling that propels you forward into the next step of what's coming at you, then you don't have to worry about the same old song and dance over and over again. You get shot into the next level. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I was reminded of a particular story and it stirred me up. I got a text message and it said, why do you think that Elisha was not afraid to follow Elijah. And I looked at that message and I thought, ooh, I don't know. Wait a minute, let me think about that. And my head started spinning. Why do you think Elisha was not afraid to follow Elijah. Now, for some of you who don't know the story, he was in the middle of his work day, plowing the field, taking up the family business, doing what he was told to do. And the prophet walked by. And he looked at him, and he said, I got to go where that guy's going. How did he know that he could drop his plow and go where that guy was going? Hallelujah. Come on, there's this thing called an unction. There's this thing called a voice. There's this thing called an anointing. And a prophet's going to pass by you, and you're going to have to say, I got to go where that guy's going, because it's taking me out of this circle, and it's putting me into the next level. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God. 
Woo! Come on, somebody pick up what I put down this morning. Jesus. See, the, the voice of the Lord, he comes to us in seven different fashions. He comes to us audibly. He comes to us through animals. He'll come to us in dreams. He'll come to us in visions. He'll come to us when we're praying. He'll come to us when we're driving. He'll come to us when we're at work. He'll come to us when we're at home. He'll come to us when we're watching TV. He'll come to us whenever we're trying to escape everything. God's going to show up. And when he shows up, if you know his voice and you felt his presence and you know where he is whenever he's there. Come on. How many felt the Holy Ghost walk into a room before? And he said, Whoa, God's here. Come on. Come on. You feel him in your heart, but then you feel him in the room. How many know the difference? Come on, you can feel him in your heart, but then you feel him in a room, and there's a totally different kind of attention that happens. You can feel his presence around you versus from when it's in you. Now, when it's in you, it's one thing, but when it gets around you, it's a totally different thing. Your body starts doing things you didn't know it could do. Your mouth starts saying things you didn't know it could speak. You start moving in ways you didn't know you could move. You start talking in ways you didn't know you could talk because your God and your creator is around you, and it's propelling you forward and it's making you change and everything that you were ain't what you are then hallelujah because when God gets in the room he starts making changes amen glory hallelujah <coughs> but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them come on they circled me like bees how many ever ran over a yellow jacket nest with a lawnmower? Woo! That's a whole new kind of pain. They get up your pant leg. They get up your shirt sleeve. They get down inside your collar. They'll get up behind your ear. They'll get in your hair and in your nose and in your everything. Whew. Yeah. For those of you who haven't experienced that, don't. It's bad. But the writer tells you that they circled me like bees. They went forth as a fire over thorns. You ever burnt a Molendor bush out? Now, if it's green, it's a bit of a pain. But you get a dry one, it's whoosh, It makes a particular sound, and there's a particular kind of crack and snap and popping because that dry old Molendor bush, it makes real good kindling if you can get a hold of it. But it says it went through like a fire through thorns. What are, how do thorns grow? Do you just get the luck of having one column of thorns and one little spindle of ouch? Or do you got a whole hedge full of ouch? They never just grow in, in one single column like trees that you can kind of move out of the way. They kind of look like Medusa's hairdo in rows. And when they dry out in that great big cluster and fire gets a hold of them, it goes from one to the next to the next to the next, and it's quick. There's no waiting. There's no processing. There's no timing. And it says that his enemies surrounded him like bees. Do bees just hang out in front of your face and say, get ready? No. They are around you. They're humming. They're buzzing. They're encircling. But they're moving, and they're moving quickly. Fire, when it gets into a thorn bush, it moves, and it moves quickly. 
If you've had somebody who's moving around you, getting in your business and they're doing it quickly, they ain't just quiet about it, but they're, they're making their presence known and they're making it known quickly to surround you. Yeah, now we're getting into some things we can understand. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You have pushed against me that I was failing, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in his tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord is valiant. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord is valiant. I shall not die, but I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. Hallelujah. See that we know that right now the right hand of the Lord is the righteousness of the Lord. But in those days, the strength and the blessing was in the right hand. Now, I'm going I'm to I'm give you a little bit of something here. When there was impartation from one generation to the next, somebody say impartation. That means that there was a younger man who got down on his knees and put his hand underneath the thigh of the elder. If you're going to put your hand underneath somebody's thigh, you've got to get down and you've got to get close. And after they put their hand underneath their thigh, then that latter generation takes the right hand and puts it on top of the head of the next generation. And there's a transfusion. There's a transfusion of physical things like property and belongings. But then there's this other kind of transfusion where there's a little bit of mental impartation of what you should do in the next generation. But then there's one more level of impartation that comes through the spirit. It's like a download. It's like taking a, a floppy disk and sticking it in a computer and hitting download. It's like taking one plug in from one phone and putting it into the nether and there's a download. There's a transfusion of information. That's a spiritual upload of impartation and power. Now my grandfather was laying in the bed one night and he was down and he'd been down for a couple of days and I was over there preaching in the church house hallelujah and I decided I was going to go shake up grandpa he'd been down for too long and I was so full of myself I was dancing the whole way over to the house I go walking up the sidewalk and I was shuffling two steps forward and one step back and two steps forward and one step back and I come into the back door and I started singing and praising God as soon as the door opened and then I got into the kitchen and grandma said the boy's here then I got to the dining room and she said oh boy he's here and by the time I got to the bed and I got a hold of grandpa he sat up and his arm went over my over my hand and his hand went on top of my head and there was a download right there and we preached a double header in the living room because God showed up. That's the kind of power that you've got to look for. You say, I don't know why I'm going to grandpa's house. I don't know why I'm called to this person's house, but God said go here, so that's where I'm going to go. And I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just going to start praising God. And when I get here, I'm just going to talk about God. And before you know it, you may catch a blessing that you didn't even know was coming, but ever you're just doing what you're called to do. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Glory! The scripture says that the Lord has severely chastised me, but he has not given me over unto death. 
He says he's rubbing me the wrong way, but he ain't turned me over to death. Said, I'm not agreeing with what the Spirit's telling me, but he hasn't given me over to death. I'm not walking in the best kind of walk, but he hasn't given me over to death. Come on, somebody look in the mirror and say, that's right, that's right. Y'all shout about the right hand, but you won't shout about your mess-ups. Hallelujah. Open to me the gates of righteousness. If there's a gate, that means there's a door. If there's a door, that means there's a lock. If there's a lock, that means there's a key. If there's a key, there's a key holder. That's a whole nother message right there. Glory. I will go unto them and I will praise the Lord. He didn't say that I would seek righteousness. He didn't say that I was going to get learned. He didn't say that he was going to get taught. He said he's going to go into the gates of righteousness and he's going to sing praises. And it may not be the best kind. It may not be the most educated. It may not be the most eloquent. But he's going to walk through the gate and he's going to praise whenever he gets there. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through. I will thank you that you have heard me and have become my deliverance after I've been surrounded by enemies who run like fire through dry bushes, who surround me like bees and hornets, who hate me, who want to use me, who want to tear me down. I have been delivered from things that I have no control over, and I'm going to walk through a gate and shout praises because I have been delivered. Amen. Who shot This is an emotional thing. Nations have surrounded him. Countries have formed alliances against him. When nations surround another nation, that means that they're all working together to destroy that nation. That means that everybody's got an idea about you, and they're going to tear you up and tear you down. But whenever you get through that gate, and you start praising, and you start thanking, you say, thank you, Lord, because you have been my deliverance from all of my enemies. Hallelujah. The stone that the builders rejected. Come on. The stone that the builders rejected. Out there in Lakota country, in the High Plains area, they got a teaching. And they called Jesus Chief Cornerstone. Come on. They say it in Lakota. They'll say it in Absaloga. Down in the southwest, they'll say it in the Dane language. Here in the east, they'll say it in Miami. And they'll say it in northern Chippewa. And they'll say it in Cree. But in Indian country, when you say, I follow Chief Cornerstone, people know who you are talking about. When you're up in Indian country and you say, I follow Chief Cornerstone, they know exactly which chief you're following and they know exactly who you're talking about and they know exactly where you're coming from. When you say, my chief is Cornerstone, they know exactly who that is. Hallelujah. How many know who Chief Cornerstone is this morning? Glory to God. Now a cornerstone for a building. There wasn't a lot of concrete back in David's day. You just had to have a big rock. And you had to have a way to get it out of the ground. And then after you got it out of the ground, you have to have a way to put it back into the ground. (coughs) And that was tough. They're still trying to figure out how they did Stonehenge. 
lot of will. But whenever you have a cornerstone for a building, that means that everything that that building is is resting on that stone. Everything that that building has got inside it, whether it's made of marble or gold or granite or crystal or mama's rug or your children or yourself, everything that is inside that building rests on that stone. And what this writer is telling me whenever I read this as a builder is that everything that he had was resting on something that somebody else rejected. It was resting on a stone that nobody else wanted. And I have to ask myself this question, if it was good for him, why wasn't it good for everybody else? If it was good for this man, now this man, he's looking at this stone. We remember that the altars in those days were 12 stone altars, one stone for each tribe of Israel. And there was a 12 stone altar built whenever they crossed over the Jordan and became Hebrews. There was a 12 stone altar at Mount Carmel when Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. There was a 12-stone altar made according to the order of Melchizedek before there were ever 12 tribes. There were 12 stones. It was prophesied from the beginning of time, and it was fulfilled when the time came. According to the order of Melchizedek, there were 12 stones before there were ever 12 sons. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. But this man takes a stone that the builders reject, and my God was rejected. My God was beaten. He did not come into the city as a hero. He came in as a carpenter. He came in as a common man. Some of them called him a wine babbler. Others called him a vagabond. He didn't have a whole lot of money, but he had a whole lot of promise. And people gave him so much money that he told his disciples to give the money back to the people. And whenever food was brought to him, whether it was fish and bread or whether it was a T-bone steak, he multiplied it and gave it back to the people. Whether he was walking in garments of silk or if he was walking in garments of burlap my God gave what he had back to the people whenever his feet were anointed and washed by the tears of Mary Magdalene come on he gave something back to the people whenever there was wine poured in his glass he gave something back to the people with his blood everything that was given to that rejected person everything that was deposited into him in his lifetime everything that was deposited in him from the beginning of time he gave back to the people amen see we get caught up in this idea of the superstar kind of leader who's got bigger houses and bigger cars and a bigger bank account and a bigger shoe size and a bigger batter everything and we think that's the kind of person you want to follow because they're successful but my god was broke as a joke he slept out in the backside of the desert he slept in his, his, his most favored prophet and most favored cousin. He wore, he wore camel skins, and he didn't eat meat. He ate locusts and drank wild honey. He was so broke he didn't even have a knife to slaughter the cow. He was out there eating bugs and honey. He didn't even have a bowl. He didn't have a knife to kill anything. All he had was the camel skins on his back, and the food that he ate was bugs and honey. And that was Jesus' favorite prophet. And the word of God tells me that there was no greater prophet before him, nor would there be any greater prophet after him. And he ate bugs and honey. Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. So where is your escaping God? What is your cornerstone? If God takes me out to an open place, I'm going to freak out like a kid in Kansas and ready to catch the next tornado out of there. But if he takes me into a spring or out into the woods, or if he takes me into a, into a place where I'm secure and comfortable, that's what I need from my God. What do you need from your God? What kind of relationship do you have with him? David is writing about escaping from the weight of leadership. He's writing about the escape of battles and blood and gore. But what is your Psalms 118? What is your story? What is your relationship with God? What has he rescued you from and what have you forgotten about? What has he pulled you out of that you cannot remember? What cornerstone do you need to stand on? Do you need to tuck point your foundation a little bit and repair the mortar so you can look at the rocks that you laid down? What is your house built on? Glory to God. This is what the Lord has done. It is marvelous. I said it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. Save us. We, are, we ask you, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, we ask you, send now success. Hallelujah. Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. When you arrive somewhere, by what name do you arrive in? When you are called upon and you show up, by what name do you stand on? What are you known for? When you step into a room, do you own it because people are afraid of you? Or do you own it because people love you? When you command a room, do you do it by anointing or intimidation? Do you gain the respect of others through harsh words or through a loving voice? What kind of countenance do you have to have to own the room? Because there are people who can own a room. And everyone will look at them and everyone will listen to them. And they'll do it through control, hatred, and manipulation. But then there are people who can own a room through love and anointing and counsel. When you own the room... By what name do you enter in on? Do you walk in according to your own power or by the one that powers you? Do you go according to your calling and anointing or by your own devices and purposes? Hallelujah. The Lord is God and he has shown us his light. In the beginning of the book of Genesis, the first thing created, it comes out as this, light be. He says, this is what it is, and I am telling it to be what it is. Hallelujah. Bind the sacrifice with cords even into the horns of the altar, meaning get ready. We're going to cut some, we're going to give up one thing to get another thing. You are my God. 
and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Be blessed this morning in Jesus' name. Let go and let God, let the Lord do what he's supposed to do in your life. I wish I could get a church to give him praise for a couple of seconds. Come on, give him praise and exalt him because of what he's done for you, what he's doing for you, what he's going to do for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray an impartation of miracles over this body. We pray an impartation of love over this body. We pray an impartation and a blessing of success over this body. Let the spirit of God move through the people. Let the voice of the Lord be heard in their ears. Let his presence be all about him. Let his strength be within them. In Jesus' name, let the Spirit of God pass through this body. Praise him for what he's done. Praise him for what he's doing. Praise him for what he's going to do. God's making a way where there seems to be no way. He's done it before and he'll do it again. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Say, God, I need one more miracle. Come on. If you need it, you got to say it. God, I need one more miracle. Come on. If you need it, you got to say it. God, I need one more miracle. Hey, he's a delivering God, a way making God, a prayer answering God. I need one more miracle. Hallelujah! Glory! Victory! Victory! Victory in the name of Jesus! Hallelujah! Breakthrough! 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 In the name of Jesus! Every devil's a liar. Every wall is coming down. Everything that was against you is going to have to go running the other way. My God is the destroyer of the enemy. My God is the tearing down of strongholds. Breakthrough, 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 breakthrough. In the name of Jesus, breakthrough, hallelujah. Come on, breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God is moving. God is prayer answering. You say, I can't feel it yet. Then you got to press it out. If you ain't feeling it, you're going to have to press it. If you ain't feeling it, you're going to have to press it. Hallelujah. Come on, we're birthing in a new year. We're bringing forward a new promise. We're prophesying over the things to come. We're saying, according to your promise, Lord, you told me this is what would happen in my life. And I'm claiming what you told me. Hallelujah. 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 God is good. God is good. God is good. Let Israel say his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Be blessed this morning in Jesus' name.